There's a small balcony outside of my bedroom, and I recently decided to grow some flowers in pots out there. So I bought a mixture of geraniums and lobelia and petunias and other flowers to add a splash of color and joy as I looked out of my bedroom window. And the flowers looked amazing when I first planted them. A rainbow of vibrant yellows, oranges, reds, and purples. But as the weeks went by and I didn't water some enough, or I overwatered others, they started looking a little bit less than splendid. A few began to droop, others had brown, crinkly leaves, and some only had a few flowers persist through fading foliage. They no longer looked like the resplendent bouquet that I'd planted. Now, I never really learned how to take care of flowers properly. I thought just watering them every other day, they'd continue to look fabulous. Turns out there's more involved. Things like fertilizing and deadheading and pruning and getting the right amount of sun and shade and so forth. Now, those of you with green thumbs will know exactly what's needed. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. I seem to have more like a yellow thumb to match the leaves on more than one plant. <laughs> I never lived around people who could teach me how to cultivate flowers. My mother-in-law, who's with us here today, is an expert. But we don't live together where I glean her day-to-day -day secrets to success. To do it well, I'd probably have to study, practice, and really focus my attention on cultivating plants. I think relationships have a lot in common with my balcony flowers. Like parenting, most of us aren't taught how to do relationships well. If we know people who model great parenting or relationships, then we have some chance of learning from our models. Or if we study psychology or child development or horticulture, perhaps we might have a leg up. But how many of us know people who are experts in relationships in our lives. I know I don't. What little skill I have is all self-taught and I think sorely lacking. It's kind of a trial and error situation. And when I asked our worship committee who among us has relationships all figured out, no one raised their hand. And if I were to ask all of us here today who feels like they really have a handle on how to have a great relationship with anybody, whether it's a partner, a family member, a work colleague, or friend, how many of us would confidently raise our hands? Relationships like flowers are unique and complex. I think one of the reasons I'm not successful with my balcony flowers is that they all have different requirements for flourishing, yet I'm treating them all the same, a one-size-fits-all model. And that's what most of us do with multifaceted human beings who certainly each have their own needs necessary for thriving. What works with one person doesn't necessarily work with another. We're different in our wishes for alone time, together time, privacy, conversation, and physical intimacy. We're all unique in our histories, our traumas, our triggers and desires. Our bodies are all different and respond in unpredictable ways. And that makes for complexity, 
not something you can just throw a little effort at and hope you're going to succeed. No, cultivating relationships takes intention and attention. It takes time and effort. It takes sensitivity, curiosity, and perseverance. It never ceases to amaze me how when we intentionally focus and attend to specific areas in our lives, those parts usually blossom. But in our busy lives, it can be hard to have time to really focus on anything. Slowing down to spend time on important neglected things was one of the unexpected gifts of the pandemic, wasn't it? Families sat down to dinner, more babies were conceived, couples talked more, people took up old hobbies like bread making, board games, or even cooking together. But now, for most of us, life is back to being busy and stressful. How do we choose what to focus our precious time and intention on amidst so many demands? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ideally, our values inform our focus. Values should be our North Star. That's one of the beautiful things about our fellowship. Our values as Unitarian Universalists are clear and guide what we do and how we interact. But as individuals and families, we all know how easy it is for the demands of life to hijack us from what we value most deeply. And what's more, we may not even agree on our values. Even though cultivating relationships is one of my primary values in life, it's easy to get focused on all the things I have to do in a day and put relationships on the back burner. So I appreciated the opportunity this week to do sermon research by intentionally focusing on cultivating relationships. And I have to say, it made a significant difference in my marriage, my parenting, and in my connection with this beloved community. Last weekend, on my Sunday off, my son Gabriel and I got to go away for two days to look at colleges together. Now, normally I only have one day a week off when I catch up on everything. So having two days off in a row was a precious luxury that I wanted to use well. As a high school senior in the throes of college applications of school, work, and a girlfriend, Gabriel's life is also more than busy. And as with many high schoolers, our day-to-day -day interactions are often brief and a little unsatisfying. So it was a gift to have these two days of exploring college possibilities together. Even more significant for our relationship was the opportunity to spend two days alone together and lots of driving. It gave me the chance to focus on better understanding him and his hopes, to just have some ordinary time talking in the car, hearing his thoughts and dreams and listening to his music and podcasts. It was a huge bonding gift for our relationship. And likewise, with my husband, Michael, cultivating our relationship this week has been sweet. Now, some of you may agree with me, but I think long-term marriage is not necessarily a walk in the park. It's too easy to let all the many stresses going on within our home or finances or parenting become the focus of our interactions. But this week, I remembered 
how precious it is to have time together that's not just about solving problems. Time that uplifts and connects us. Time that's not just about transactions and reactions. Time that's special, allowing the two of us to connect. Especially when you've been together for over 20 years as we have, it's perhaps even more important to offer intention and attention to a relationship that could otherwise easily be taken for granted. Likewise, with this beautiful chalice, our beloved community, it was such a boon to be a chalice on Tuesday with our feeding hands folks in full swing, cooking meals for the unhoused, and our staff gathering together for collaboration. Being together, working on our common goal of transforming the world through justice and compassion was really life-enhancing restorative in a way that I've missed during our pandemic isolation. So relationships, just like anything else that you want to grow and flourish, need cultivation. They need attention. They need intention. And many people put more effort and time into their work or organizing their Netflix queue or into what they'll eat next than they do into their relationships. But my friends, relationships need to be prioritized to be successful. They need regular cultivation to thrive. They deserve to fare better than my balcony blooms. We just sang a beautiful meditation song together that reminds us of the layered ways we can offer our attention to relationships. We began offering loving kindness, or metta as the Buddhists call it, to ourselves then to one another, and finally each other as a collective. That is what Buddhist metta meditation calls us to do. It's what I try to do in my daily meditations, offering wishes of loving kindness, compassion, and well-being within, to others, and to the community each morning. Not surprisingly, the metta meditation reminds us we need to begin by cultivating a strong relationship to ourselves. Now, Buddhism insists that self-compassion and awareness are prerequisites for being able to be in good relationships with others. No one is responsible for or can ultimately create our happiness. So finding a stable sense of self-contentment is vital to being able to be in relationships successfully. Whatever love and qualities we're looking for outside of ourselves, we need to create those within first. No one else is going to complete us or fill the void of love within our hearts. So we need to tend to our own hearts, nourish and heal ourselves, find inner acceptance and belonging, because that is how we can be whole beings capable of sharing the riches of love with others. As you know, I work on cultivating that inner relationship through mindfulness practices, through looking for things that bring me joy, and also attending to my inner child. What do you do to nurture yourself, to cultivate your own well-being? so that you're more available to engage positively with others and act less from your triggers. 
Once we've nurtured ourselves with loving kindness, then we can offer it more wholeheartedly to another. We sang, may you be filled with loving kindness. And actually being in relationship with others is key to our survival as human beings. Cooperation, collaboration, compassion, and connection fuel love and a contented life. Relationships, of course, have been the source of poetry, song, and marvel for thousands of years. Indeed, the oldest surviving love poem was recorded over 4,000 years ago. Some estimates say that there have been over 100 million songs written about love and heartbreak. Most of us fail to thrive if left completely alone without interactions with others. Yet we all know that relationships can also be challenging, especially for those of us who consider themselves introverts or who prefer our own company over the complexity of dealing with others. We each bring our own stuff to the table, and more than likely than not, we'll be drawn to someone who perfectly complements and triggers that stuff, right? So what are some tools that might help us navigate the choppy waters of relationship? If you're in an intimate relationship, time spent having regular dates, listening to one another, and prioritizing physical and emotional connection is key. It's easy to fall into a pattern of living side by side, assuming things will go along fine on autopilot. But relationships don't usually thrive on default. For relationships to stay vital, they require engagement, authenticity, and a willingness to be vulnerable. We need to own our faults and mistakes, laugh at them even if we can, and most of all, give up the need to be right, because boy, can that cause arguments. We have to intentionally create places of connection, collaboration, and vision for our relationship, joint vision. And part of success is just showing up again and again, even when it's hard, even when we're tired, even when it sometimes doesn't feel right. We'd be wise to let go of perfection and forgive our sloppiness with one another. Since almost none of us are trained in the art of being good partners, we have to offer each other a wide berth of forgiveness. Wax on, wax off, and keep trying. To reap rewards, put in the work, even when it's not easy. The next time you're triggered in a relationship, whether it's from a friend or a colleague or a family member, you might just try slowing down, taking a breath, and quietly say to yourself, I turn my reaction into compassion. Repeat it like a mantra, even if it's hard. I turn my reaction into compassion. Or if you simply can't turn it into compassion, just notice that, take a breath, and possibly just say out loud, I'm really triggered right now. And then take another breath, and maybe create some space between you 
and come back to each other when you're less triggered. Our heroine of rhetoric, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, famously said, when a thoughtless or unkind word is spoken, best tune out. Reacting in anger or annoyance will not advance one's ability to persuade. We're all flawed human beings. We're all struggling just to figure out this being human thing. At times in arguments, it can feel like our very survival is threatened and we go into our reactive reptilian brain. But whenever we can choose compassion or taking a breath over reaction, we are winning in the game of relationships. Compassion is one of the biggest gifts that we can give one another. Whereas repeated judgment, reaction, and criticism, on the other hand, erodes love. Michael and I watched an interesting series on Hulu called Nine Perfect Strangers. And in it, the female guru, played by Nicole Kidman, constantly owned her mistakes. And no matter how much mud people slung at her, she kept coming back to them with profound compassion and understanding. And in the end, her persistent love in the face of attack melted even the hardest of hearts, including those who were set out to kill her. It was really inspiring, and it reminded me of how Jesus walked through the world. Another great tool a friend recently shared with me involves reminding ourselves that we're on the same team with our partners and friends and collaborators. Whether you're solving a problem with your child, your colleagues or partners, remembering you're on the same team helps. Instead of having the problem between you and being on opposing sides, try to sit side by side, either real, really or metaphorically, imagining the problem out in front of you and that you're tackling it together from the same vantage point. John Gottman, the famous relationship expert, says, successful couples are attentive. They listen, put their phones down when the other person wants to chat, and they constantly make and accept attempts to connect with each other. Gottman found when couples break up, it's usually not because of issues like big fights or infidelity. More often, it's a result of the resentment and distance that builds up over time when partners continually turn away from attempts at connection. But of course, sometimes you can do everything in your power to cultivate a relationship, and for whatever reason, it still doesn't work out. It takes all parties to be willing to show up. So when you've done all that you can to cultivate a relationship and those efforts simply aren't reciprocated, it may just be best to let go. To let go of the other, to liberate with love. Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh says in his book on love, everyone knows that blaming and arguing never help, but we forget 
Conscious breathing helps us develop the ability to stop at the crucial moment to keep ourselves from saying or doing something that we regret later. Practice conscious breathing when things are going well with your partner. Then it will be there for you when things get hard. And he goes on to say the roots of a lasting relationship are mindfulness, deep listening, loving speech, and a strong community to support you. My friends, we are blessed to share a strong community that supports us through all the ups and downs of life. The third part of our meta meditation song was may we be filled with loving kindness. So how do we cultivate relationship in community? I know what's worked well in this fellowship is prioritizing our beautiful mission, our principles and values. We're also held by our covenant of right relations in which we assume good intentions and speak to one another with kindness and respect. It's a framework that helps us love and care for one another and the planet more. We try to speak to each other directly about our problems with care. Emma Merchant, a UU youth in central Ohio, writes about her UU community. I've always been more enchanted by the idea of chosen family. The thought that we're each making a choice to be here in this family, in this community, is powerful. I could leave if I wanted to, she says, but I don't because of the way we've each nurtured this community. And we've continually made this choice over and over again. The words covenant and right relation are second nature, she says. We make the choice to stay stuck together even when we don't want to be in the same room. We all have many different reasons for being here, but I like to think that we all have one common reason for being here, she says, and that reason is love. Over everything else, we are here because we are the people who choose love. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. We are the people who choose love, my friends. I need some response since we have a couple people here. Amen. Our choir sang 525,600 minutes. How do you measure a year in a life? How about love? How about love? We make the choice. We make the choice. to show up, to stay, to try again despite everything. We make the choice to cultivate relationship. So ultimately, my friends, it comes down to what we value, to prioritizing and choosing love will guide us through our lives, doesn't it? I close with the powerful words of, don't cry as well. <laughs> That'll make me cry some more. <laughs> I close with the powerful words of the inspiring futurist, Adrian Marie Brown. When we are engaged in acts of love, we humans are at our best and most resilient. 
the love in romance that makes us want to be better people, the love of children that makes us change our whole lives to meet their needs, the love of family that makes us drop everything to take care of them, the love of community that makes us work tirelessly with broken hearts. If love were the central practice of a new generation of organizers and spiritual leaders, it would have a massive impact. If the goal was to increase love rather than winning or dominating a constant opponent, I think we could actually imagine liberation from constant oppression we would suddenly be seeing everything we do, everyone we meet, not through the tactical eyes of war, but through the eyes of love. My beloveds, growing flowers can be hard. So can relationships. Cultivate them anyway. Choose love. Focus your intention and your attention, and you may be surprised by the blossoms you can grow. May it be so. Amen.